Is that your heart this morning? Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, more than anything in this world, we want you. We need you. And I pray, Father, today that you would grant us the desire of our hearts that we might walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. Thank you, Mark, for that song. Thank you, choir, orchestra, musicians, Alan. What a great, great morning. Great morning to be in the house of the Lord. Charles Sheldon wrote in his steps, in that book, he said, Jesus is a great divider of life. One must walk parallel with him or directly across his way. And then a quote I read this week that said, so long as the church pretends or assumes to preach absolute values but preaches relative and secondary values, it will merely hasten the process of disintegration. We are asked to turn to the church for our enlightenment, but when we do so, we find that the voice of the church is often not inspired. The voice of the church today, we find, is the echo of our own voices. When we consult the church, we hear only what we ourselves have said. There's only one way out of that spiral, and the way out is the sound of a voice, not our voice, but a voice that comes from something beyond ourselves and the existence of which we cannot disbelieve. It is the duty of pastors to hear this voice and to cause us to hear it and to tell us what it says. So having prayed over our prayer cards from last week, I am convinced of the relevance of this word today. Here is the voice. God is with you. In fact, God is with you everywhere you go. Now here's the question of this sermon. Are we with God? I know that He is for us. I was wondering if we are for him. Are we following God or are we fighting him? Are we going to go with God or are we going to go against him? Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28 verse 20? We've been studying there. I'm also going to read Acts chapter 5 verses 33 to 40. Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. The book of Acts tells us whether or not he kept that promise and whether or not they kept their promise to him. Going with God. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together today? You know, Matthew 28, we've been studying the Great Commission where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, really, verse 29, Peter and John have been preaching and they've been accosted for that. They've been imprisoned for it. Now they're being threatened and warned Stop preaching Jesus and we'll let you live. I want you to see their response. Peter and the other apostles replied, 
We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. And all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed. All his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. You may be seated. I will be with you. I will be with you always. Surely I am with you always even to the end of the age. We have become familiar with these words, but may I say, in the annals of holy history, what the German language and theologians call Heilsgeschichte, in the annals of holy history, this is not the first time God has said this to his people. In fact, if we go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, when Moses is saying, how in the world am I going to do what you want me to do? God says these words to him, I will be with you. I will be with you. And God was with him. And then when Joshua comes to lead the people into the uh, promised land, he's wondering how he's going to accomplish this. And God says to him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, As I was with Moses, the same way I was with him, I will be with you. And God was with Joshua and his presence became the sustaining power of his people with a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God kept his promise. And then at Pentecost, after Jesus had said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. At Pentecost, he came. He did not leave his children as orphans, and by the Holy Spirit, he filled them and empowered them to accomplish his purpose just as he had said. But doing what God wanted them to do while gaining the approval of God also set them exactly at odds with the religious establishment and many in the world around them. Jesus says, I will be with you. He does not say, the world will applaud you. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And when Peter and John did what Jesus had told them to do, they were imprisoned, they were persecuted, they were threatened, they were cajoled. Every, every way they thought they could persuade them to do the right thing, they tried. But it didn't work. And so finally they said to them, If you stop saying the name Jesus, 
we will let you live. And Peter, as I picked up in verse 29, says, we've either got to obey God or we've got to obey you. We'll choose to obey God. Perhaps echoing in their ears were the words that Jesus had spoken in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, when he said, if you are not for me, you are against me. And every one of us, like Peter and John, have a choice to make. We will either go with God or we will go against God. We will either be parallel or, to use the mathematical term, we will be perpendicular. But I have this word for you from God. If you choose the perpendicular route, it will not be an easy way to go. It will be difficult. In fact, one of Gamaliel's disciples did not listen to his leader that day. His disciple, whose name was Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, made it his purpose to thwart. It says he fought against God and his work. And there came a moment when God got his undivided attention on a road headed to Damascus where he was going to persecute the church some more. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And in chapter 26, as Paul retells that story, he says, Jesus went on to say, it is hard for you. It's hard. I offer you two ways of life, and I'm not telling you the way of discipleship is an easy way. We know that it means taking up our cross and following Jesus every day. I will only say to you that there is a way that is harder than the way of discipleship, and that way is the way that Dallas Willard calls non-discipleship. You think it's hard to follow Jesus. Try fighting Jesus. And my word to you this morning, if you came today to hear a voice outside yourselves, which you cannot disbelieve, here is what I have heard the voice say this week, I am with you. And that is either really good news or that is really bad news. And it depends on the choices we make. Because if God is with us and we choose to go with him, we will discover that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But if we choose, on the other hand, to go against God, we have the freedom to fight, but we have no way to win. Let me show you what life against God is like, and then I want to show you the promise that God makes to us. It's there in verse 29 when they say uh, to Peter and John, just stop doing what you're doing, and Peter says, look, we've got to choose. We'll either obey God or you, and he, he really captures for us in verse 29, I think the really critical issue in our culture these days, the really critical issue in our world is, will we seek the approval of God or will we seek the approval of people? And sometimes, sometimes we can't have both. And what they're saying is, we will give you our approval. Peter, if you'll stop preaching Jesus, we'll give you our approval. And Peter said, what good would that do? Then I would have God's disapproval. Or I can have God's approval and your disapproval. And given the choice, if I'm going to please, I think I will please God. We see this, I think, even in that debate that has raged since the last election out in California about Proposition 8 and that conversation that's going on in our culture about why shouldn't the government give its imprimatur to the idea of same-sex marriage. 
And I was talking with Melanie about this this week. We were just dialoguing about it. And sometimes she has just insights that I don't have. And I said, I don't get it. I don't know why anybody would seek approval. And when I say that, let me just say this to you. I think the church ought to be more compassionate than anybody else in the culture. We who know what it's like to be sinners saved by grace ought to give grace to sinners of all kinds. We ought to start there. But I said, I don't understand why, why they seek that approval. Why? And Melanie said, if you cannot get the approval of God, then you will try to get the approval of somebody somewhere. And I pondered that, and I thought, that is exactly right. And what they were saying to Peter was, do you want, do you want our approval? Because we'll let you go free. We'll let you live if you'll just stop speaking about Jesus. And Peter said, I, I can't not speak about Jesus. Why? Chapter 4, verse 12. His name is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Whatever I do, I've got to be faithful to him. And Peter says, what I want to say to you, what good would it be to get the full approval and approbation and imprimatur of our government and our world and everybody in it if at the same time we gained the disapproval of God. If you have to choose, and sometimes you have to choose, please, please God. It is the only way to live our Lives. And what Gamaliel says to them is, look, there have been others who rose up. There was Thutis and Judas. I didn't make this rhyme. It's just right there in the text. There was Thutis and there was Judas. And both of them raised up groups of people who followed them. And the minute we killed Thutis, all of his followers, 400 strong, were dispersed. And the minute we killed Judas, all of his followers were dispersed. And by the way, he was from Galilee too. Now Jesus was from Galilee and we killed him and he's got these followers. My suggestion, Gamaliel says, by the way, he's a Pharisee speaking in the Sanhedrin. So he's talking to a group of Sadducees who don't really believe in anything, by the way. And he believes in the scripture. And he says, look, what if we just leave them alone? I mean, if what they're doing is from men, it's going to fail all by itself. But if what they're doing is from God, we will not be able to oppose it. We will only find ourselves fighting against God. The expression in Greek is, is vivid, God fighters. <laughs> Gamaliel says, whatever you do, you don't want to be a God fighter because you don't win when you fight against God. I have this good friend that I grew up with. In fact, I, I, I talked to him for the first time this week in 25 years. And uh, we were best friends from 7th through the 10th grade over in Germany. And uh, we were just reminiscing a little bit. And, and uh, he lives in Dallas. He's lived in Dallas for 25 years. I didn't know. I'm going to go see him in a couple of weeks. But anyway, we were talking. And I said, do you remember your dad used to say to us, we would, you know, his dad was in the Air Force like my dad, and we, you know, we were teenage boys, and we would, you know, say, oh, you know, we're going to come after you, you know, we're, you know we, we think we can take you, our dads, and his dad would always say, okay, what you need to do is get all your friends, I mean all your friends, and you need to bring sack lunches, because it's going to take a whole bunch of you, and it's going to take a really long time if you really want to come after me. 
And I love this little man. He was just hilarious to me. He was, you know, he used to say himself, you know, I have a face like the face of the man on the cover of Mad Magazine. And he used to say about his ears, if I get a good wind behind me on a bicycle, nobody can catch me. I, and his son, it turns out in these 25 years, went into stand-up comedy. And if you knew his dad, you would understand how that works. And I just love this man because I think what that shows us about God is it is possible for us to live our lives opposed to God. There's just not any way we're going to win. And given the fact that we can't win, my question is, why would we want to live our lives against God? It's the same thing you see when, um, when Saul decides to, to fight against the church and Jesus just stops him and says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? I didn't know I was persecuting you. I thought I was persecuting this radical group of people who claim that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, it is hard for you You're making life hard for yourself. In fact, I read this week just some scripture passages along this line. Um, In 2 Chronicles 13, verse 12, uh, Abijah is talking to the people of Israel. He says, don't fight against God because you can't succeed. And then this verse, Proverbs 21, verse 30, there is no wisdom, there is no insight, there is no plan that can succeed against God. God. And they're just two ways of of living life. I'll just make it simple for you. We either live life against God or we live life for God. C.S. Lewis said, there are those to whom, there are those who say to God, your will be done. And then there are the others to whom God says, okay, then have it your way. And I want to be in that first group who with Jesus say, your will be done. Your kingdom come, my kingdom go, your will be done. My will is your will. What you want is what I want. That's where you and I need to find ourselves. And when Saul found himself perpendicular to the purposes of God, it was painful for him. And it is possible to live our lives against God. But it is not possible to succeed in that kind of life. And so I say to you this morning, God is with you. And only you can tell me whether or not that's good news. But I want to show you what that news means to us as we take Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, and he says, surely I am with you. What that means is God is with us powerfully. Just take that to the bank. In fact, this week, even in the, I've been searching for years to find this friend named Mike McConaughey. And just as that unfolded this week, I was reminded that God is at work in the world. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and in earth belong to me. So I call up this friend and we start talking on the phone and, uh, and we just start sharing. And he says, you know, he, re- he emailed me back later and he said, because there was a time in my life when he started coming to church with us and he became a follower of Christ when we were kids. And then we started leading a lot of our friends to become followers of Christ. And he emailed me back and he said, I just remembered how important that time in my life was and how, how much God showed me in those days. And he was just sort of letting me know how grateful he was for that and how we were looking forward to, to meeting. And he said, do you know a guy named Randall Everett? And I said, yeah, I know Randall Everett. He's the executive director of the Texas Baptist Convention. He said, you know what's funny is he just, he just bought a house right next door to mine. I mean, the director of all the Baptists in Texas moves next door to you. And then your buddy whom you haven't talked to for 25 years who just happens to be a Baptist preacher calls you the same week. He's sort of feeling like, man, there's something at work here. And my word to you is we live in this world and we sometimes think, well, it's just, you know, if it is to be, then it's up to me. But no, he says, surely I am with you. That is, God is working powerfully. We said last week, God is working purposefully for us to make disciples. And to make disciples, we have to be disciples. And then it says, God is with us 
as he describes it here in this verse personally. He says, I am with you. And I only say that because I think some of us would be content just to know we had a guardian angel or something flying around our shoulder. Can I just say, it's better than that. God doesn't say, I'll send a committee of angels to take care of you. He says, I am with you. And he is all we need. He is with us personally. It's the word, I am that I am, that he gave to Moses. Helen Malico Johnson has put it well. She said, uh, I, was, I was regretting the past and fearing the future, and God spoke to me and said, my name is I am. He spoke, I listened, he continued. When you live in the past with its regrets and failures, it is hard. My name is not I was. My name is I am. When you live in the future with its fears and concerns, it is hard for you. My name is not I will be. When you live in the present, it is not hard. I am with you. My name is I am. He is with us personally. He is with us uh, perfectly every day. In fact, when it says I am with you always, even to the end of the age, it almost sounds like Jesus is being redundant and repeating himself always to the end of the age. Only when I interpreted this this week, when I translated it from the Greek and saw it, what he says is, I am with you all the days in every increment of time. There's never going to be a time that I'm not with you. Today, for instance, he's with us. This is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. This is the acceptable time. God is with us right now, for instance. So in Psalm 121, it says, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God never takes a day off. He's always with us. He is inevitably with us. And to know that He is with us is to know that we have in Him everything we need. All the days of your life, He says, I will be with you. Even to the end. Especially to the end of the age. There will come a day when this age ends and when this age is over, God is not finished yet. He's the God of forever, the always God. He will always be with us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does that instill confidence in you this week? As you seek to live with him, the good news is when you want to know it, if you are with God, you need to know he is with you. And so we want to be with him. Melanie came home not long ago and told me a, a story from her work. She works in a, a Christian school, inner city area. And in that school, there are a lot of kids with a lot of needs. It's the only school I know of that when Hurricane Ike came, they went back to school the first day, even when school wasn't back yet, because they got two meals a day. They get fed at the school. So if they're out of school for a week, some of them don't get fed. Some of the kids, the last meal they have before the weekend is Friday lunch at school, and the next meal they have is Monday breakfast at the school. And she tells about a mom who came into the office one morning. She was angry, and she was yelling at this little boy. And she kind of threw him into a chair, and she said to the principal, I am not coming to pick him up. I don't ever want to see this boy again. I do not love this boy interspersed with expletives, she looked at him and she said, I don't love you and I don't ever want to see you again and I am not going to pick you up today. I'm never coming back for you. And about an hour later, she called the school back and she said, I forgot one thing. And they said, what is it? She said, I want to beat him one more time and then I'm never going to see him again. 
And they said, don't bother. Don't come back. We'll take care of it from here. Melanie's boss told her this story. Kim Hansen, some of you know Kim Hansen, and she told Melanie this story. And Melanie said, hey, we have a family in our church. I know it's a long way across town, but we've got a family that fosters kids who loves kids. And, and is there any way, and, you know, amazingly, through the processes of CPS and everything, this little boy was placed with a family in our church. And I'll never forget the first Saturday night that he came to church, and I, I got to see him in worship. And uh, his foster mom, Lori Gentry, some of you know her, was holding him. And I have never seen a kid hold on to a mom as hard as he was holding on to her. He was holding on for all he was worth. Because for the first time in his life, he had found somebody who loved him just because he was who he was. And he wasn't going to let that go. And when God says, I am with you, and I will never leave you and forsake you, in contrast to all the messages of rejection you and I have heard in our lives, here is a good word. God says, I want you. I choose you. I love you. I want you to be a part of my life. And here's my question. Knowing that, will you ever let go of him? Will you ever let go of the God who will never let go of you? Why would we want to run after sin why would we want to run and leave him behind given the fact that he will never leave us and he promises to love us? Don't we want to love him? I think this helps us. To know that he is with us always even to the end of the age is a great promise. And all I want to know is since God is with you, I have no doubt this week he will keep his promise. Are you going to be with God? Since God is for us, are we going to be for God? Since God allows us to walk with him, would we really fight against him? Or will we say, your will be done, so that we never have to hear him say, okay then, have it your way. His way is the only way that you and I want to live. Are you going his way? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful promise of presence, your ministry of presence comforts us today. We are glad to be here with you that we are not alone in this world. And today we need you, Lord. Right now, for instance, we need you. And I thank you that you are here. Make your presence known. We wait for you. If you come, we live Without you, Lord, we can do nothing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.